Hello, welcome to episode 28 of 10-0. I'm Maria. And I'm Caitlin. How are we doing, besides the lemon warhead you just stuck in your face? <laughs> Slowly dying. <laughs> <laughs> On the inside from regret. You're fine. Oh, It's going away, it's fine. We're almost to episode 30. Don't mind my bottle cap mouth. <laughs> and for some reason... I have it down as episode 29. It's 28. Yeah. Well, about that. It's def 28. <laughs> Good job, though. I refuse to believe that we are that far away from episode 30. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, love. Well. Trust me, I messed up my whole calendar trying to plan this <laughs> Oh, trust me. I've been sitting there writing in my planner. This is what I'm doing for this day. This is what I'm doing for mm-hmm. this one. This is what I'm doing for this one. Shit. I don't know what I'm going to do for that one. <laughs> and then I have to start all over because I have no idea. It's fine. It's all fine. Oh, man. We'll just blame it on, you know, hormones. We'll be fine. Yeah, hormones. <laughs> is that what we're going with? Sure. Okay. I mean, everyone else knows. Maybe our followers should know. That's a you call. That eventually, we're going to have to pre-record quite we're a bit. We're going to have a baby. We're going to have a baby. It's our first baby. Hopefully many more. But Yes. Just not on my end. <laughs> <laughs> I am done after this one. That's what you said last time. Here we are. <sighs> my tubes are getting tied, burnt, and hopefully <laughs> taken out. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. <laughs> it seems a little excessive don't you think let me put it this way if i could have a full hysterectomy by god i would simply because i've had my share of children granted i'm very excited about this one just because it's number four and there's a slim chance that it could be a girl you know you're gonna get a girl i don't know like part of me just wants a boy that way I can be like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to buy anything else. But then again, part of me wants to be all excited my hopes up that it could be a girl. You're going to have a girl. Just you wait. We'll see. But anyways, enough about that. (laughs) What's our true crime fact of the day? All right. So we are going way back to 1976. That's not way back. Way back is like the 1800s. I was making a way back machine reference, but okay. Oh, oh yeah. Rude. Sorry. <laughs> my kids haven't watched Peabody and Mr. Sherman in a while, okay? On November 19th of 1976, Patty Hearst was released from jail. So a little background on it. She was kidnapped on February 4th of 1974 from her San Francisco apartment by two armed gunmen. They were members of the SLA, which was the Symbionese Liberation Army. Say that ten times fast. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> so they beat her and her fiancé and put her in the trunk of their car. They demanded the release of two SLA members that were in prison for murder, which was obviously denied, and for Patty's family to donate millions to feed the poor. The Hearst ended up establishing a program called People in Need, or PIN, 
to distribute $2 million worth of food. Negotiations broke down after the SLA demanded more funding for Penn. Getting a little greedy there. Well, I get it. I mean, I get it, but at the same time, it's 1976. The poverty level was low. It was really hard for people to feed their families, but at the same time, it's nowhere like it is now. So Patty was locked in a closet for two months and was subjected to mental and physical abuse. As a result, she was brainwashed into becoming an SLA member and adopted the name Tanya and renouncing her family. April of 1974, the SLA robbed the Hibernia Bank in San Francisco. And mind you, surveillance tapes showed Hearst holding a gun in the bank. Oh. On May... No, I'm sorry. In May, six SLA members, including the group's leader, Donald DeFries, who called himself Field Marshal Sink Matume, I think, were killed when their house went up in flames during a shootout with police in L.A. Oh. September of 1975, law enforcement caught up with Patty in San Francisco, where she was arrested and charged with armed robbery and the use of a firearm during a felony. During her trial, her defense attorney claimed she had been brainwashed and made to believe she'd be killed if she didn't comply with her captors. In March of 1976, a jury found her guilty of armed robbery sentenced to seven years in prison. Hmm. And in 1979, President Jimmy Carter commuted her sentence. Leave it to Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. So that's a little mini roller coaster for us. Yeah. Would you like to go first or... Do you want me to go first? Well, mine's kind of short. Well, so is mine. So. <laughs> After last week. Yeah. After last week, I think anything short. Yeah. That um, ended up being like a two-hour, three-minute episode, I think. <laughs> I'll go first. Okay. So we're going to go to Rhode Island. Okay. And we're going to talk about the old Arnold estate, which okay. is the inspiration behind the movie The Conjuring. Oh. So, a little backstory. The Old Arnold Estate is located in Harrisville, Rhode Island. It's an authentic colonial tin-room home built in 1706 and served as one of the oldest plantations in the state. Cool. It is most famous for its association with the movie The Conjuring and the Perrin family. The home sits on 200 acres of luscious landscape. The Arnold Estate is truly a historical treasure as it was seated by, close to a nearby river with plenty of room for children to play and explore. Okay. The home has been known by many names over the years, such as the Dexter Richardson House, the Old Arnold Estate, and Old Brook Farm. However, now it's mostly known... <coughs> Excuse me while I die. No die. I don't want to have to do a story on you, okay? <laughs> it's mostly known as the house that inspired The Conjuring. The old Arnold estate has passed hands many times since. The first time being to Norma Sutton in 1983. And this is after the parents moved out. Okay. She stated that her husband, Jerry, and various visitors would have paranormal experience, experiences in the farmhouse. With reports of doors banging in the front hall disembodied voices, footsteps, and vibrations in the walls. 
The Sutcliffe family moved out of the home following the release of the movie The Conjuring due to their harassment they had to experience after its release. I'm sure they did. Because people don't know how to leave well enough alone. Right. The newest owners of the estate, however, are Corey and Jennifer Heinzen. They purchased the home in 2019 for $439,000. They are much braver than I. <laughs> they moved into the home with their two children, Madison and Kyler. Nope. Corey has been involved in the paranormal community for around 13 years now. Oh, so you're site. just crazy. The website I pulled this from um, was a few years old. He had investigated places as famous as Pinhurst, <laughs> Malvern Manor, Waverly Hills, and Eastern State Penitentiary. Oh, buddy. Whereas Jen is happier behind the scenes, gathering information and interviewing local historians. The children have participated in numerous investigations. However, one is off at college, and I'm not sure about the other one, as the site that they have advertising the home was a couple years old. Mm-mm. I'm already out. <laughs> you lost me already. I just, I, I just want to go stay there once. Nope. So if by chance you ever hear this, I just, I just want to go once. Please. No. <laughs> Without me, sure. Oh, fine. Absolutely not. <laughs> Cuckoo for Cocoa Puss over so, here. I'm going to talk about the Perrin family. The home was purchased in 1970 by Roger and Carolyn, who believed to have found their dream home. Alongside their five daughters, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, April, and Andrea, they moved in just shortly after the purchase. Nancy and Christine shared one room, Cindy and April shared another, and Andrea had her own. They were warned upon purchase to always keep the lights on at night. A strange request. However, they quickly found out why. Warning numero uno. <laughs> that you failed to listen to. Right. <laughs> Let me just retract that paperwork out of your hand real quick. <laughs> Fuck that. The parents lived in the home for a decade. Mm -mm. Gradually piecing together history and making the best of the firm findings. If you just attracted a fucking demon to my laptop, you're taking my laptop home. <laughs> no, I'm not. Yes, you are. It'll get thrown in the cornfield. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm driving down the road, leaving your house. Sorry. To fill you in, my Siri just went off for no goddamn reason and started talking to us. <laughs> Oh, Caitlin just man. summoned a demon to my laptop. It's fine. <laughs> God damn it. Now I gotta burn it. Paranormal <sighs> activity began almost immediately. Their daughters noticed toys being moved unseen by a young boy. Carolyn also began noticing the broom being moved around the home without anyone's knowledge of how it happened. She also reported hearing the sound room moving across the floor, and when she would return to the room she was cleaning... There would be a pile of dirt in the middle of the floor. Mm -mm. So she's cleaning. She walks away to check on the kids or walks away to do something else and comes back and there's a pile in the middle of the floor. I mean, thank you for being helpful, but also no thank you. Get the <laughs> right. fuck out of my house. Yeah. <laughs> nah. The girls seem to be an attractant to these spirits as a second male figure would appear with a reportedly crooked smile in the corners of their rooms 
watching them as they played. Nope. Did you ever watch, um, fuck, what was that show on Netflix? The Haunting of Hill House. That's what it was. That reminds me of the Bent Neck Lady. Yes. We'll get into that. Oh, fuck you. (laughs) God damn it. I just had to open my fat mouth. (laughs) Hey, we are not you know who. We're not going to call you fat on our podcast. Okay. (laughs) Anyways. Ironically, you mentioned that. (laughs) It appeared so often that the girls began to call him Manny. If eye contact was made with Manny, he would withdraw from sight just as suddenly as he had appeared. It was believed that Manny was the ghost of Johnny Arnold. And we'll get into that in a little bit. That almost makes it worse. Yeah, to a point. Like, you see him, he knows that you see him. And then he disappears. Right. Let me just walk away because you see him. The parents began experiencing the entities themselves, causing the idea that the girls having had an overactive imagination as an option out the window. Other strange things began. Beds would levitate. Furniture would glide across the floor on its own. Doors would open and slam shut. Over time, Roger and Carolyn began to learn about the house's past. Which was a little more than they bargained for. (laughs) Often chairs would be pulled suddenly from beneath an unsuspecting guest and pictures would tumble from the walls. The parents also once reported seeing an orange ooze blood and a wall dissolve into nothingness. Like, could you imagine going to peel an orange and it just start oozing blood? I think at that point I would check myself into a voluntary psych hold. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. Right. Bye-bye. So, eight generations had lived in the home before the Perrin family. And many of them had cruel and dark fates. No. In the 18th century, Mrs. John Arnold, the 93-year-old matriarch of the family, hung herself in the barn on the property. Just one of the many suicides (sighs) to take place on the grounds. 11-year-old Prudence Arnold was raped and murdered by a farmhand inside the home. Johnny Arnold, a.k.a. Manny, committed suicide by hanging in the attic of the home. Over the years, there were reports of two drownings in the creek, as well as the death of four men who mysteriously froze on the land. Despite the grim past that surrounded the home, the Perrin family took comfort in knowing that the house and its spirits had been kind to them at the time. That was until the girls started being haunted by an unwelcome visitor while they slept. An unseen entity would yank on their legs or hair as they slept or would remove their blankets. One spirit tormented Cindy, telling her that there were dead soldiers barrels of the home. Oh, oh, Like, honey. whispered to her. Making her parents think she was going crazy. Uh, Yeah. Other spirits would loudly bang on the front door of the home so hard it would shake the entire house. Doors would slam shut on their own, while others would be frozen in place, unable to be moved from the position they were in, no matter how much force was put behind it. No. 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 Bye. Nope. (laughs) 
I quit. Reports of hearing a voice in the night yelling, Mama. Oh, fuck you. Which one of the parent family recalled as a small female spirit appearing as a four-year-old roaming the house crying. One of the spirits was even so evil that the parents never re- never released what it did to them. However, it was hinted that the spirit busted some of the children. Andrea Parent avoided the question when asked after writing her book on the family's experiences. And now we're going to go to the most vicious of the spirits that roam the house. Her name was Bathsheba. According to local legend, Bathsheba Thayer married Judson Sherman in the mid-1800s and ended up coming to live at the Arnold Estate. The first child of the Union died, and she was charged with murder. The infant had been found with its head impaled by a sharp object, and the townsfolk rumored that the murder had been a sacrifice to Satan. The fuck? And that she was a practicing Satanist who had summoned the devil to grant her the gift of beauty. She was arrested but was freed shortly after due to lack of evidence. Remaining in the house, she lived the rest of her life as an outcast from the community until she died in the early 20th century by hanging herself from a tree behind the house. It said in death that her body had mysteriously turned to stone. I just got chills. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I don't so like it. <laughs> so at what... least the directors did their damn research on this fucking movie before they did anything. Right. From what can be gathered from public records, Bathsheba and her husband had indeed lived in the house. She had also been involved in the death of her neighbor's infant child, which had been left in her care. Though there is no record of a trial ever taking place. Bathsheba and Judson lived out their days at the old Arnold estate, both dying in the 1880s. She was buried in the nearby Baptist Cemetery, where her tombstone can still be found. For the Perrin family, however, her specter loomed very large. They were convinced her dark spirit remained hell-bent on torturing anyone who stepped foot on the She appeared to every member of the family, her face gray and her head bent to one side as if her neck was permanently broken. She hung herself. Which, if done, I don't want to say properly. I don't like that I said the bent neck lady, and that's exactly what she... Well... I don't like it. I feel violated. My brain feels violated. (laughs) Still, it became clear that the entity paid special attention to Carolyn, who was her least favorite person in the home. At first, the attacks were small. Carolyn would feel tiny pinches or was slapped by unseen forces. Bathsheba began to throw various objects whenever Carolyn was caught unaware. But things grew worse very quickly. One day, Carolyn was lounging on the couch when a sharp pain shot up her leg. She examined herself and found a puncture wound on her calf that had already began to bleed. The wound looked as though it had been made by a sewing needle. 
when these attacks failed to make Carolyn leave the house, Bathsheba instead sought to possess her. Insert the warrants. And if you can't tell, I rolled my eyes really hard. I felt it from across the table. <laughs> <laughs> By this time, it was believed that Bathsheba has physically possessed Carolyn Perrin with an assessment that even Ed Warren could not disagree with. The Warrens and the parents watched in horror as Carolyn spoke to them in a foreign voice and was thrown about the room like a rag. At one point, Andrea, in her book, quote, like, she says that she watched her mother die that night as she was thrown 20 feet across the room. And it was in relation to what's going on now. I don't like it. The Warrens agreed to help and set out to cleanse the house of all evil. Unfortunately, (laughs) unlike the movie The Conjuring, that was not how things went down in real life. Of course not. The parents were not a religious family. Weak in faith, it was theorized that... It was theorized to be a primary factor for the violent and active nature of... Bathsheba's treatment of the parent family leading to reports that the only previous resident not to report any odd occurrences was a local minister. All right. Lorraine Warren explained why this was important. And I quote, you only have your faith as your protection. I always had my faith. God protecting me allowing or God protecting me allowed me to do this. At that particular time, the parents did not have religion and it was very dangerous. See, I have a problem with that. Not everybody is inclined to be religious. No. So you're saying that everybody that's not obsessively religious is heavy air quotes here opening themselves up. Right. To being possessed and haunted. I I don't agree with Lorraine on this. To be fair, you've never agreed with Lorraine. No. So. No, I haven't. <laughs> Anyways. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ed and Lorraine's attempts to cleanse the house only seem to make the spirits within more active. Shocker. Carol and Perrin were called that dreadful night and explained that even the, though the Warrens' intentions were good, they essentially found that things got worse around them. And fearing for his family's safety, Roger demanded that they leave the house. Probably like a good call. banned the Warrens from the house. And I got oh, yeah. super excited when I read that because finally someone had realized that the Warrens weren't all they were hyped up to be. Well. Called it. <laughs> so the parents soon every occupant, with the exception of the local minister and his family, of the old Arnold estate had reported supernatural phenomenon on the homestead. In fact, the owner just prior to the parents had hired a contractor to renovate the house. The contractor had been busily renovating the home when he suddenly stopped work and fled. It was reported that he left the home screaming, leaving behind his tools and his car. The owners never moved in and the home sat vacant for several years before the parents discovered it was on the market. Uh-huh. The parents wanted nothing more than to move out of the Arnold estate, 
but they could not due to financial strife. For ten long years, they endured the multitude of spirits in the house until they were financially able to move in 1980. So, now we're going to talk about the part of the movie that shouldn't be part of the movie. Annabelle. The doll shown in the Conjuring movie was based on a separate case from 1970 that Ed and Lorraine Warren handled, Mm -hmm. which was the case of the Annabelle doll. Whoa. <clears throat> it just gives me chills thinking about it. I hate right. dolls. I do too. Similar to the earlier Robert the doll and other creepy doll cases, it is believed that a demonic entity dwelled inside the Annabelle doll. But here is an excerpt from the Warren's website explaining that case. I hate the fact that I even went to this website to find it. <clears throat> a nursing student named Donna received the Raggedy Ann doll from her mother as a birthday present. Shortly thereafter, Donna and her roommate Angie began to notice that the doll would switch positions or move around the apartment on its own. Angie then began to notice childlike messages that had been scribbled onto parchment paper, which they concluded must have came from the doll. Things escalated when their friend Lou, who had been staying with them, claimed that the doll tried to strangle him during the night. On another occasion, Lou believed that the possessed Annabelle doll was responsible for bloody claw-like scratches that mysteriously appeared across his chest when he went to investigate a noise coming from Donna's room. The real Annabelle doll and the one used in The Conjuring, in an attempt to rectify the situation, a seance was held. Huh? Hold on. Okay. In an attempt to rectify the situation, a seance was held. The medium informed them that the doll was possessed by a young girl named Annabelle, who had resided on the property before the apartments were built. When she was just seven years old, Annabelle's lifeless body was found in a field where the apartments now stood. Oh. Yeah. Don't like that. I'm not sure where that first part came from. So we're going to delete that. (laughs) And Lorraine Warren eventually came to investigate after being informed of the doll through a priest that Donna had contacted. At the recommendation of the Warrens, an exorcism of the apartment was performed, and at Donna's request, the Warrens took the Annabelle doll into their position where possession, where it still remains today. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure why they felt the need to add Annabelle into the movie. Probably due to, like, lack of events that they could show on film. Um, that happened in the home, and ratings, and money, you know. But she didn't belong there. Had nothing to do with that family or that house. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, I still suck. (laughs) But I still kind of want to go stay at this house. So Well then. Yeah. Tell me how you really feel. (laughs) (sighs) I can't stand dolls. I almost sent you a TikTok earlier that had a creepy ass doll in it. I have been stuck on the creepy doll TikTok for a while. And there's this chick who, like, buys haunted dolls. Ew. And she has, like, four of them in her possession. And they actually, like, move. And I don't know how true it is. I don't want to say she's lying, but I don't want to, like, say she's telling the truth and she's not making them move. 
but you can like watch the expressions on their faces change. You can oh, watch hell their no. hands move, their heads tilt. It's fucking weird. Ew. Yeah. I don't like dolls to be in them. No. Like <laughs> this coming from the collected Cabbage Patch Kid dolls. <laughs> That's different. Those are cute. <laughs> I never ever got into like the porcelain dolls because those follow you. I so my grandmother gave me one. And I regret not letting my dad sell it when I moved out of the house. Because now it's sitting in my basement somewhere, I think. No. Uh-uh. Nope. So now I have to go burn it. <laughs> I take that back. I have one porcelain doll, but it was given to me when I was born yeah. by my grandma. And it's like a baby. But she is in a box. And she is in my closet upstairs. Like, she does not get touched. She does not get messed with. This one's in like a glass case thing. Those are the worst. I know. I don't like it. it yeah. And it's got a little heat around its wrists. And I don't know what it's for. I remember putting it on, like, way back when, but yeah. I don't remember what it's for. Huh. No. I just think it's weird how, like, their eyes, it always feels like their eyes uh -huh. are following you. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. No matter where you're at in the room. They could be looking in one direction, for but their real. eyes are, like, over here. And I mm -mm. can't do it. No offense to anyone who, you know, collects dolls, but... It, Keep them away from us, kids. Not for me. <laughs> no, thank you. Are you ready for a doozy? Yes. Always. Have you of Diane Downs? No. Okay. You're not gonna like her. Well, Obviously. Not. So we'll do a little background on her first. She was born August 7th of 1955 in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. And Diane, blah, 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 I'm already not able to talk. This is not good. Diane would later testify that her father sexually abused her when she was 12. Oh. No evidence to if this really happened or not. Okay. She graduated from Moon Valley High School in Phoenix, where she met her husband, Steve Downs. Okay. After high school, Diane attended Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College in Orange, California. Oh. However, she was expelled after one year for promiscuous behavior and returned to her parents' home in Arizona. So, in other words, she's a hoe. Yeah. Oh, just wait. It gets better. Okay. November 13th of 1973, Diane ran away from home and married Steve. They had three children together. Okay. The first was Christy Ann. She was born in 1974. Cheryl Lynn was born in 1976, and then Danny was born in 1979. Oh. The couple divorced in 1980 because Steve thought Diane had cheated on him and that Danny was not his. Well. So. Me want to hold on? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm just going to make you off Well, shit. It's fine. Me. <laughs> May 8th of 1982, Diane gave birth to a girl as a surrogate. This woman loves being pregnant. I, In case that was not obvious. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I love being pregnant too. Mainly because that's like the one time I can actually lose weight. 
But, you know. All right. Prior to her arrest, Diane worked for the post office and was assigned to mail routes in Cottage Grove, Oregon. Are you ready for the doozy part? Yes. May 19th of 1983, Diane shot her three children on a back road in Springfield, Washington. <sighs> I warned you. I gave you warnings. I know. I always try to get the benefit of the doubt. Didn't expect her to murder her own freaking kids. Well, she doesn't kill them. Oh. All of them. Oh. Little tidbit you need to keep for later. During the shooting, Duran Duran's Hungry Like the Wolf was playing on the car stereo. Of course it was. She drove her kids to Mackenzie Williamette Hospital. Upon her arrival, Cheryl was already dead. And Danny was paralyzed from the waist down. And Christy had suffered a stroke. <sighs> Diane also had a graze wound in her left forearm. She claimed that she had been carjacked. Investigators and hospital staff became suspicious because Down's manner was too calm for a person who had just been shot. I would agree with that. Agreed. She also made statements to police that were considered highly inappropriate. Well. Are you ready for the hoe part? Yeah. Instead instead of calling her children's father, she called Robert Knickerbocker, whom she had been having an affair with. Of course. He was a married man and a former co-worker in Arizona. Knickerbocker claimed that Diane had been stalking him and seemed willing to kill his wife if that meant that she could have him. Oh. He stated that she that he was relieved that she had left Oregon and that he was able to reconcile with his wife. He, so him and Diane had been having this affair, right? Right. He told her that he did not want any kids. And that's why that's why this wonderful human being decided to try to kill her children. I hate fucking people. Yeah. So the forensics obviously did not match Diane's story. There was no blood splatter on the driver's side of the car or any gunpowder residue on the driver's door or interior door panel. Of course not. Because she's a liar. She also failed to disclose that she owned a twenty two handgun. But both Steve and Robert informed law enforcement that she did. She purchased this when she lived in Arizona, so a while back. Well, at least they were looking at it and were like, yeah, she's a fucking psychopath. Right. While police were unable to find the actual gun, they did find unfindings in her home with extractor markings from that gun. Oh. Witnesses also claimed that they saw her car being driven very slowly towards the hospital at a speed of five to seven miles an hour, which went against her claim that she was going to the hospital at a high rate of speed. Yeah. February 28th of 1984, Diane was arrested nine months after the shooting and charged with one count of murder, as well as two counts each of attempted murder and criminal assault. Good. She deserves to rob. Yeah. Just, just a smidgen. Like the deepest part of hell. In the ninth circle of hell is where you belong. (laughs) So we're getting to the trial now. Okay. The prosecution argued that Diane shot her children in an attempt to be with Knickerbocker. She claims that he stated that he did not want children in his life. At one point, the prosecution played hungry like the wolf in the courtroom. 
Diane's reaction was to start tapping her toe, tapping her head to the music. Mm. You know, I knew normal people would not do that yeah. and have flashbacks, you know, like normal people would, yeah. but you know. She's not normal. And she's... Clearly. Mm. Most of the case was based on testimony of Christy, who was Diane's surviving daughter. Once she recovered her ability to speak, she was able to describe how her mother shot all three children while parked on the side of the road and then shot herself in the arm. Can you imagine your child being the one to put you in prison? I mean, good for her in this case. I mean, I know someone whose sister put him in prison. Well, there's that. Yeah. Diana was convicted on all charges on June 17th of 1984 and was sentenced to life in prison plus 50 years. Good. She was required to serve 25 years before being eligible for parole. Psychiatrist diagnosed her with narcissistic, histrionic, and antisocial personality disorder and labeled her as a deviant sociopath. What was your first clue, friends? Right. Like, I'm just curious. Was it the fact that, you know, she attempted to murder her fucking kids? Yeah. Diane's two surviving children mm -hmm. were adopted by the lead prosecutor, Fred Hughey, and his mm -hmm. wife, Joanne, in 1986. Prior to Diane's arrest, she became pregnant with a fourth child and gave birth to a girl who she named Amy Elizabeth. Ten days before her sentencing, she was taken by, Amy was taken by the state of Oregon and adopted by Chris and Jackie Babcock, who named her Rebecca. Oh. As an adult, Rebecca appeared on the Oprah Winfrey Show and ABC's 2020 and discussed how she felt about her biological mother. She wrote to Diane in her younger years and has stated that she regrets it and describing Diane as a monster. Well, I mean, she is. So, yep. Not wrong. Diane was originally incarcerated at the Oregon Women's Correctional Center. However, on July 11th of 1987, she escaped from her cell by scaling an 18-foot razor wire fence. Oh. Homegirl. <laughs> okay, then. What, what you doing? <laughs> <sighs> She managed to evade police for 10 days, despite a 14-state, 1-4-state manhunt before she was recaptured. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my. She did receive an additional five years added to her sentence for that. Diane was then transferred to the New Jersey Department of Corrections Clinton Correctional Facility for Women, say that 10 times fast, after Fred Hughey pushed for it. The Salem prison was located 66 miles from his home in Springfield. Yeah. During Diane's escape, he feared that she would come to his own in an attempt to make contact with her children. Yeah. So, uh, in 1994, after serving 10 years, Diane was transferred to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. So we're just crisscrossing across the country here. Yeah, of course. While in prison, she has earned an associate degree in general studies. Good for you, I guess. In 2010, she was relocated from the Valley State prison for women to Chowchilla, California, after it was converted to an all-male prison in 2013. Oh. So her parole hearing. Okay. 
Mm -hmm. She was not eligible for parole until 2009. Under Oregon law at the time, as a dangerous offender, she would have been eligible for parole every two years until she was either released or died in prison. So December 9th of 2008, at her first parole hearing, Diane maintained her innocence, saying, Over the years, I've told you and the rest of the world that a man shot me and my children. I have never changed my story. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you need to. Yeah. Just a thought. Or at least act remorseful or some shit. The Lane County District Attorney Douglas Harkler Road, I think. Sure. Wrote to the parole board saying, Downs continues to fail to demonstrate any honest insight into her criminal behavior. Even after the conviction, she continues to fabricate new versions of events under which the crimes occurred. She also refers to her assailants as a bushy-haired stranger, two men wearing ski masks, or drug dealers and corrupt law enforcement officials. Well, I mean, in the times we live in today... Possible. Possible. Ish. But... The unlikely. Right. Uh, Diane participated in the hearing from the Valley State Prison for Women. She was not permitted a statement, but answered questions from the parole board. After three hours of interviews and 30 minutes of deliberation, she was denied parole. Shucks. She faced her second parole board hearing on December 10th of 2010. Also was denied. She was also scheduled one for 2021. But I could not find when slash where. Well, let's hope she doesn't get it. I mean, there's only a month and a half left of yeah. 2021. <laughs> I'm guessing it's going to be in December since the last two have been in December. One can only hope. And then one can only hope that she stays rotting in prison. I feel knows. like she, I would hope that she probably will. Well, we've seen the justice system fail one too many times since starting this podcast. Yeah. There's always that. Just just a couple. Just a couple. couple. Well, those are our two short stories for the week after the last couple episode shenanigans. Yes. Uh, You can find us on Facebook. At 10-0... True crime and paranormal stories from behind the headset. Hey, look at I you. <laughs> I think it's because I wore my hoodie the other day. <laughs> Our Instagram is 10 underscore zero underscore podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at 10 paranormal because they won't let me change it for some reason. Um, if you have any case suggestions or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Listener stories. Listener stories. That you would like to tell us, you can email us at 10zeropodcast at gmail.com. We would like to start doing um, listener stories once a month. Yes. So start sending those in. Uh, we also have a square site for all of our decals and stickers and stuff. Our stickers will probably up- be uploaded soon. I just keep forgetting to do it. <laughs> All reminder. Because I, I suck at life lately. Um, yeah, it's fine. We both do. Uh, we have our Patreon, if you're feeling so inclined. Um, we have four levels that get four different levels of prizes. Prizes? Incentives. Incentives. Okay. Um, also, if you're feeling even more generous, if you us a review on whatever, um, 
platform you listen on, that would be great. So we can start reaching more people. Yes. Um, did um, I leave anything out? Our contest. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about that. So it's going to be a little different now that I can no longer work with epoxy. So you will be getting a epoxy-free cup um, that is personalized. It'll have your name on it, and it'll have our decal that, you know, is a pain in the butt. But we don't mind it's doing fine. them for you. Um, you'll get that. You'll get possibly a t-shirt. It just depends on how generous we're feeling. Um, but for sure, you are at least getting a personalized tumbler and a pack of stickers, I believe. Um, and that is once we hit 250 followers on Facebook and 250 followers on Instagram. Mm -hmm. For a total of 500 followers. Now, does that mean that you can't go and like both? No. Am I going to actually pay that close of attention? No. We won't tell if you don't. <laughs> so, as long as we hit 250 on each platform, we will do the Tumblr and the sticker giveaway. If we reach 250 on Twitter as well, we're going to do a second giveaway of possibly a hoodie that there are only two in existence mm -hmm. and no two are exactly the same because they are bleach tie-dyed um and some other goodies in there as well yeah so if you want to go and give us a like on all of our platforms make sure you us, leave us a review leave us a review That'd that be would great. be fantastic we appreciate each and every one of you. And we love you even though we make you depressed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we need to reach out to and that's why we drink and be like, hey, certain episodes, can we borrow that? <laughs> oh, man. But as always, stay safe. And try not to become the next 10-0.